how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed Emma is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the solutions journalism platform Everyday Grit and soon to be rebranded The Inspirer. They started this platform out of frustration of the news only reporting on problems that our world faces without telling the stories of people who are dedicating their lives to finding solutions. They believe that if we knew what can be done and saw examples of people doing it, we would all be more inspired to take action each at our own level to make our world better and safer for all of us. Non-binary, polyamorous and many other things that don't quite fit in the traditional labels written out by normative society. They are driven by the radical imagination of a world that can exist if we free ourselves of what we are told to be by exploring and discovering who we are. Welcome, Em! What a show. <laughs> My heart is so full. Uh, felt all the feelings and what a beautiful experience to record with our wonderful Emma. Yeah, Emma, um, it's been such a special delight with guests. I've learned so much and we really hope you enjoy listening to the show. <laughs> so, thanks so much for being here. It's so special to have you on the podcast and thank you for listening to the podcast and all of your feedback that you've given us both in the past and being such a avid supporter. It's felt really... It's like a lot of the time has made it feel like worth it. So thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I've literally like, I was thinking about it this morning, like how it's like a dream come true for me to be on the podcast with you both because I love it so much. And when the first time I heard it, I was like, oh my God, like this is the podcast that I've always been looking for. And so, yeah, it just feels like a very, like really special moment for you guys to have me. So thank you. <laughs> Ooh, <yes. laughs> like sex. Number yeah. one since day one. <laughs> yeah. Number yeah. one fan. Oh. Self proclaimed. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's really, really warm. So I'm feeling really hot. Um, but like it's really nice to have such nice weather and uh yeah, I'm just kind of trying to stay uh, put inside my own body with my emotions because I can very like quickly kind of like escape that by like doing a bunch of stuff. And I do that all the time. And so today <laughs> I am just trying to kind of ride the wave. So it's cool. I'm feeling nice. pretty good and really excited oh. and scared. So skyded. I love that. Word. <laughs> <laughs> it's like scared and excited, like in a mash. <laughs> <laughs> and so like what kind of tool other than trying not to kind of run around too much what what kind of tools are you using to try and feel your feelings in your body today um so there's like some really practical things that I do that I've been like trying to do which is like like for example like with my phone like if I get a message like not to think that like 
that's an emergency that I need to respond to. Like I can be like, oh, like I'm doing something else right now. Like I will attend to this like when I have space and energy because it's like so, I mean, it's so small and it's like a bit of a stupid example. But the thing is like, I'll get a message and just like the emergency button will like get pressed. And then like I'll get like another type thing that will happen and I'll be like, oh, I have to do this. And I'll just like get really scattered and try to do like 10 billion things at the same time. And I can, I can also see now with a little bit of time and reflection how like that's just like me running away from like my own feelings and my like being present in my body. So it's just like, it's just these little things of just like taking little moments, even just like going downstairs at the office and having a coffee and just like, or even like scrolling and just being like, I'm going to take five minutes to scroll and also exit for a minute because this is all too much, you know, but just like doing it a little bit more consciously. Mm. So, yeah. like got you by the throat like I so relate to that and feel so always drawn to like a message comes in it's like everything's on fire all the time and it's like it's really not (laughs) like it's really really not but like if I live in that kind of drama fueled hectic space then it feels like that but that's also a choice and then I realize that I give my power away when Mm -hmm. I'm doing that right but I mean I don't know of how much of a choice it is like I think that you guys are both taking a lot of accountability for shit that is like by design what the what this apps and the screens and the like what they're meant to be doing which is attention thieving and kind of like trying to essentially like have our attentions focused on the screen all hours every day you know so I think like take like leaving the phone in a drawer turning off notifications like those are the choices that we can make to kind of combat the fact that like these there is no human there is no activity there's no anything that like gets my brain as much dopamine as fast as my fucking phone (laughs) (laughs) you know like that's so true nothing on this earth can compete with it so i have to like be aware of that when i'm interacting with it otherwise like I mean, otherwise I blame myself for not being able to be present when like modern society has made it very difficult. Yeah. I never think about that, but it is like somewhere in the middle. I just realized we missed the super really important uh, first things first question. What are your pronouns? We'd love to start the conversation with that very easy question. (laughs) Well, I think the pronouns part is easy, but then we're going to ask you what your experience of gender is today. And that might be be really hard. (laughs) But my pronouns are they, them. And yeah, that's it. (laughs) And your experience of gender? My experience of gender. So my experience of gender is like constantly fluctuating throughout the day. Like it's really crazy and like sometimes I have the energy to actually like tend to that and sometimes I don't and sometimes not having the energy and not doing it is actually like a nice thing and sometimes it's not and sometimes having the energy is also very consuming so it's like this weird kind of finding the balance of like how much do I want to engage with that but like I'd say my experience of gender today is that I am very comfortable to be out in the world as a non-binary person and just like um like I feel more and more like my own version of masculinity because like I'm a assigned female at birth person so and it's just like and every day like I get to play with that you know in different levels and and that's really fun for me and I guess today I don't know, depending on how I feel, like if my moods are down, like I'll feel a little bit dysphoric and like, we'll be like, everybody sees me as a woman in the street and like, no one understands what I'm going through or whatever, like, or just like, you know, I'll like focus on what others 
will think of who I am, but like when I'm really kind of being like, actually, no, like this is who I am. And like, I am in safe spaces where people see me as that, like, then I feel like, okay, cool. Like that's me and that's cool. You know? So I don't know if it's exactly for today, but like, it's just like in general, that's kind of like what I've been navigating with. That's so beautiful. And to also to have kind of had the gift of bearing witness to you, like entering this part of your gender journey in recovery has been really a gift because it's like, I mean, we were talking about it. I think it was on your gratitude list, actually, (laughs) this idea of like watching the gift of watching people become themselves. And I feel like that you've, you know, been that gift for, for us in a lot of ways. Um, and maybe I'll cry again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was really curious when you said like tending to like your feelings around gender, like what does that look like to kind of like focus in on that in a, in a way that feels like affirming? Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> like right now I feel like there's a lot of stuff around image. So like, and sometimes I love that. And sometimes I feel like maybe, you know, I get, I'll get to a point where that won't be as important, but like, you know, like I just do things like I've dressed differently. Like I've cut my hair, like my hair journey has been very like gender affirming actually. Um, you know, like just, um, not wearing makeup anymore and being okay with that. And like, also just like seeing how, and just, it's really funny. Like when I look at myself in the mirror naked, like, it's so funny to think of like maybe two years ago, I was seeing myself so differently that I am seeing myself now. And my body is basically the same like I mean yes I've worked out a little bit more now than I did then or whatever it doesn't but it doesn't change much like and but then like the way that I look at myself in the mirror like I really see the gender like how like it's not a woman's body and like just so it's like it goes through this kind of appearance and then also you know like tools like binding and like wearing you know clothes that like masculinize my shape and things like that like that's definitely something that really affirms that kind of like search around like what my gender is and like you know searching also like comfortable comfortability around masculinity because I feel like that's something that like if you're like not feminine as a assigned female at birth person then you're not sexy or you're not Mm -hmm. hot you know um you're not attractive and just like feeling attractive like looking like I am today, like is really, really cool. So I guess, yeah, it does go through a lot of like image stuff, but like, I think it's quite healthy. And just also, also just then thinking also about like, when I categorize things in my brain, like, oh, this is what women do. And this is what men do. And the thing is I'm neither. And sometimes like, you know, and, and like, it just varies so much. It's just like also deconstructing that in my brain of being like, all of these are constructions and like, you know, people who are masculine like cry and people who are feminine are strong you know like and these are all these like weird stereotypes and like just like constantly kind of breaking that down in my brain and just being like and because I'm non-binary it can be all of it you know and it's so great <laughs> oh what freedom what freedom that sounds like I have a question how does it like how is it in French when the whole culture to me as an expat who's not fluent how does it work when everything is like masculine feminine and it is very binary as a language like how how has it felt kind of being that free in a French society and being a French person because you're French right yeah yeah yeah. I'm half French so like 
French is one, like my first language, but that's such an interesting question because that's been like being able to like find my space in French in this gender identity like journey has been like the thing that has made me feel like I could come out to the world. So it's like because of the fact that it's like so binary and like finding my space in that. And it's so interesting because like it really, what really helped me is like talking to other French non-binary people or non-binary people who speak French and like how they express themselves in French and being like, wow, I can do that too. You know? So it's like, it's so important. Like when you get to like meet people and shout out to Costa for this, by the way, because Costa is great. And it's because I spoke to them and how they spoke, like how they present themselves in French um, that I could imagine that for myself too. And, you know, there's this pronoun that's now been recognized by the French dictionary, uh, which is yel, which is like um, a mixture of il and elle, which is him and her, and it's yel. So that's the pronoun that's most commonly used by non-binary people in French, but there's obviously like many, many more pronouns um, because there's many as many identities as there are people, but like, and then, um, but then you have to like, uh, you know, say like, if I'm happy, you can say I'm happy feminine or I'm happy masculine, right? Wow. And so like, genre, je suis content or je suis contente. And so, and I felt really uncomfortable with like being feminized all the time. And so I just chose to ask people to masculize all the words, all the adjectives, all the things. So like I use the masculine in French, but then the pronoun yel. So like the way that I see it is like, because I want to divorce myself from this womanhood that's been imposed mm -hmm. on me, then if I use, <clears throat> even though I'm not a man, it doesn't, like, I'm still allowed. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not banned from using the masculine. Like, in my head, I was like, oh, I can't use the masculine because I'm not a man. But it's like, who said that? Like, who made up that rule? No right. one. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> I don't know, society and all the, the history and all the bullshit. But, you know, like, so I'm like, I get to, I can appropriate that for myself. And so I did and yeah, just having like, and then, so I came out in a, in a meeting, in a French meeting about it. And, uh, and, you know, from at that moment, I just, I was like, finally, I found my place, you know, and, and just being like, welcomed. It was an LGBT meeting as well. So like, it was really sweet. Everybody clapped and I was like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> but yeah, so sorry. That was a super long answer for the French thing, yeah. but like. Super complicated. Yeah. Thing that I'm so grateful that you shared on because it was something that's been stuck in my head that I've really wanted to ask. Yeah. How, because I'm not clearly very embedded in French culture and, and just really like, preoccupied with also getting that right in when uh speaking with somebody non-binary in french not use the wrong kind of like adjectives for like content content those kind of things like what do you do what do you yeah. do and so it's but it sounds like you used it as a tool to to like to to figuring shit out which is so cool like I love that, that you're so positive about how that's worked for you. Yeah, and it's, like, interesting because there's so many constraints around the French language, and it's about, like, also being super creative with that. And, like, that's my version, and, like, that's not everybody's version. And, 
Like, I just really want to say that because like not anyone, mm. like not everyone, some people just don't want to use gendered language at all, you know, and some people want to change into like back and forth. And there's just so many ways that we can play around with this like really strong constraints of like a very gendered, very structured language. And it's just about like, okay, fuck the academy and just like actually just like make lang this language our own because I think French culture is very like French language can't change but it's just like right. no like we can change it and even there's things like instead of saying like I'm curious you can say I have curiosity and like switch adjectives into nouns and so there's no gender there and you nice. can do that also in French you know and it's like how do you you know play around and like do all these like kind of mental gymnastics around language to be as inclusive as possible And, mm. you know, you can do that for everybody, like not just people who are non-binary or trans or, you know, like, I feel like this, is, like, there's an inclusive way and in, like, to like talk about people. And I feel like there's like a slow little beginning that's happening and it's like, yay, or just maybe around people that I know we, we, we're doing that. So that's cool. <laughs> that's beautiful. I mean, also, I think that like, it seems that post pandemic, I think, especially because of the Zoom meetings, allowing people to name their pronouns. A lot of people have come out in in recovery uh, in the last couple of years because I think a like it gave people physical space to really feel out themselves in a new way, but also like you're saying like it it can be difficult I think to express oneself if there's no like you have to you have to name it in front of a group of people you know and so to be able to like be like. Uh, name your pronouns within the context of, of like a zoom room <laughs> can be like, Oh, that can be super affirming as opposed to having to like come out at a meeting as it sounds like you kind of did both. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, it feels probably safer to just have it like in your Instagram bio, which is what I did. You know, I put it in my Instagram bio before I told anyone that like outside of my like close circle, And I was just like, okay, let's try this, you know, like, and see what people say. And no one notices because who reads Instagram bios anyway, you know, like, but it's just like this little thing. And it's, or like, you know, on this, like you were saying on a Zoom call and it, yeah, it is much more, it felt like a bigger, scarier thing to like come out in front of person. Actually, I was at a convention and like, was like literally sharing my, my story, like on mm -hmm. a stage with a microphone. And then I was just like, <laughs> I'm non-binary and I use these pronouns and please masculinize me, you know? And I was just like, whoa, like I just did that in front of a room of so many people. That's so insane. And like, you know, it's like a whole different thing, but like, yeah, I feel like with this, well, the journey is for me, at least it's just like, you know, it starts really small and like, the more you grow into it, the more you get confident. It's just about, it's just the same as getting sober, really, you know, like you have no idea what's going on. It's all very confusing. And the more you advance, the more you learn and the more you grow and the more you grow, the more you, you know, evolve. And it's just great. <laughs> what a beautiful answer to the first complicated question. <laughs> yeah. um, and so like in terms of work stuff, can, we're going to do a harsh pivot as <laughs> come debitude. Um, what is solutions journalism? And can you talk a little bit about everyday grit? Yeah, I can definitely do that. So basically, so everyday grit is um, a platform that me and my dad um, created during the pandemic and it's a solutions journalism platform. And so solutions journalism is basically an approach to reporting the news that also that focuses on the responses to social issues um, as well as the problems. So it's the way I kind of like, like to describe it against is like, you know, you turn on the TV or you go on the a big news website and you see all the titles and it's all just like 
terrible news. Like the world is on fire. We're all fucked. We're going to die. There's nothing we can do. And solutions journalism just basically like brings a fuller picture by like also talking about, okay, those problems exist, but like, what are people doing about it? Like, what are the, you know, initiatives that are being taken to like address these issues. So it's like not just this like singular narrative that's just like very like doom and gloom and much more of a well-rounded and quite more inspiring and hopeful. And, you know, some of the solutions work, some of them don't, but like, I mean, what's really great about this approach to journalism is that it really drives people to like more effective citizenship. So because it's like, oh, because now I'm aware of how we can actually tackle these problems then maybe I can do something about it. Or maybe that informs me about what's going on in my community, how I can look at things differently or, you know, take action. And so it's just, you know, it really shifts this kind of mood of being like looking at the news, feeling depressed and like, you know, powerless to like inspired and maybe hopeful and also like maybe empowered to take action. So we wanted to really, um, build a platform that tells these kinds of stories. So we started with Everyday Grit. Now we're working on this huge rebrand. Um, so Everyday Grit is going to become the inspirer. And we want this to be a movement because we really think that actually the news need to change because the world needs to change. And, um, and for the world to change, we need to be informed and we need to turn to, you know, news where we get this information, where we can actually, you know, have solutions. And, um, so, you know, we want to write the stories of the people who are bringing those solutions and we want those to be all interview based. So we're launching our podcast called The Inspirer and uh, yeah, Yay, fellow podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to write articles about the about these people as well and like have like like kind of weekly mini campaigns on social media to really like share their their story, share what they're doing, share their solutions and um, and rally people around them. And, um, yeah, because it's really important to like hear their voice, you know, it's like, they're the ones concerned by these problems and they're the ones bringing the solutions. So, yeah. And I mean, the motto behind it is like inspiring people, inspiring people. So basically like, yeah, we're just trying to, we really think that, you know, it could drive into action and just a last little thing about, about the problems. Cause I realized like we're, I'm talking about problems. But I'm not really naming anything, but it's just like, you know, it's really just anything like, you know, it can be gender, LGBTQ issues, migration, race, racism, like education, the environment, like all these things are like, you know, problematic. Like there's problems in all of these domains in our societies, but like they're all intersected, right? Like, you know, like education and gender issues are intersected with also the environment and racism and all these things. So it's just like, how do we actually like tackle all these like complicated stuff and like by like looking at it through the realm of like the solution, you know, so a bit program as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, I mean, it sounds really exciting and it sounds like you're personally really invested in it and not only kind of because it's your work and you're doing it with your dad, which is like the fucking cutest, but also, you know, like on a personal level, you really believe in the methodology. And I mean, like, I think, you know, it, especially now that the French elections have just happened, we see how much media has a part to play in kind of what the political future of the universe looks like. And so to have, instead of kind of working on like manipulating fears to really manipulate hope in a, in a positive direction sounds really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And like, 
the thing about it also is like we don't want it to be for profit because I think a big problem around news is that you know it's driven by like investors and spon- and advertisement and things like clickbait. that and yeah. yeah and it needs to be clickbait and it needs to be like really addictive like you were saying about the apps on the phone it's like okay like what's happening what's happening you know and so that like it drives more revenue and so we really want to do like a non-profit um model economic model so that you know people can donate we're going to launch this big crowdfunding uh at the end of the summer to kind of people get invested in the movement and also help us with the rebrand but like it's just like you, if you like donate and like participate in this um, movement, you also like get your agency back and your choice back around like what you get informed by, you know, uh, which we don't have that choice because basically our data is getting sold for, you know, uh, more advertisement. And when things are free, we know that we're the product. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like the realness. So, that's awesome also that you guys are being transparent about kind of revenue, how you plan on getting revenue because it's like, it's a great idea until you're like, but how do we make money? And it's, I think it's like asking people to kind of invest in, in the kind of news that they want to part, that they want to consume is really powerful. And I mean, like, also, I know that I can't really read Twitter before bed, for example, just because it makes me feel so sad and angry and freaked out. Mm. So like to have a kind of alternate way of consuming news sounds really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really scary as well (laughs) because this is such a big, I mean, this is, you know, this rebrand, I really hope that it like takes off and it works and that, you know, people will want to get involved and want to join us and, and, you know, make this happen with us because just the two of us can't do everything. But, um, but it's also really exciting because if it does work, there's, you know, so much community that can grow out of that, you know, like we can all share these like in amazing solutions and we can all bring each other, you know, to a places of like where, where we can like actually, you know, have safer, a safer world, have a better world, like have a world where we all can, you know, because it's just so, I mean, everything is just so problematic all the time. And it's like, how can we, you know, instead of be against each other, like be together and like try to make this better, you know? That's awesome. I mean, it's interesting, like, uh, as we mentioned, kind of at the top of the show, I'm in the the countryside and kind of like the middle of nowhere. And I, I was listening to Armchair Expert the other day, because I'm the consumer of podcasts, shout out Armchair Expert. <laughs> and they were talking about like different kinds of capital that work in different kinds of social structures. And because like, for instance, Paris or like other large cities are so big, it can feel very difficult to kind of create a sense of capital and community. In, in terms of this idea where like your investment is in your neighbor and your relationships as opposed to like in your savings account or in like your security, for instance, because your security will actually come from like being able to call your neighbor, you know, and I've been, and I think it sounds like the, the platform that you're creating is kind of along those lines about like really creating a community that's focused with these values. And that sounds like really refreshing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a really w- good way of putting it. That's, that's absolutely what we're trying to do. So let's let's hope that other people believe in that too, you know, and want to join because it's it's. I think it's it could be really beautiful and it could be really worth it. And you know, without like being too extra about it, like it could really you know hopefully change something, you know, and be helpful and be of service in like a bigger way than me you know what I mean like I can do with my two arms and my two legs you know so. yeah. 
And I have, a question, <laughs> I have a question for you about it because, like, I love the sound of this and would love to get involved. How can people get involved? Firstly, first question, and secondly, what would it? What? How? How do you? Because I, I can be. After sort of 10 years of being in a program, I can feel quite wary about always just being going from this place of um, like awareness into action um, or like um, and not going into the acceptance bit. Right. And like being solution focused all the time can really force me personally, Rose, to disassociate from life a little bit because I because I just don't want to look at shit. But I'm like, I've got a solution. Don't worry, Rose's got a solution. And then I find that it catches up with me because I never drop in. Um, so how do you kind of firstly, how do people get involved? And secondly, how do you take how do you find that balance of like there is a problem and like taking care of yourself around that as well? Do you know what I mean? So it doesn't just become like, it's okay, I'm here to fix. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, completely. Actually, I might answer the second question first because I really love it. Um, yeah, I think that's really, really important to bring that up actually because, I mean, it's kind of, there are some like uh, positive, I'm doing air quotes. Actually, no, not air quotes. There's just some positive news out there that is very like, there's all these great things happening and look, this puppy got saved and like, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, like, and it's just like very cute and really, you know, heartwarming and nice. And, you know, it's for me, I kind of see it as like this thing where it's just like, yeah, it's like a nice, it's like a nice bandaid when like everything else is like going really badly to like, look at like positive things happening. But um, I think the, the kind of spe- like the, the approach to like solutions journalism is really like, the problem exists. Like, this is it. Like, right. you know, it's okay. really kind of like focusing on the context, you know, and like going into the context, like don't, don't ignore the context. Like we know that there's like these structural issues to our societies and those structural issues are like creating various different types of violences on like different levels and on all at the same time. And like, we need to like deconstruct that, understand that, in order to talk about how we address it. So it's like, you know, I don't think, so it's like really about like not ignoring the context because right, like, it's not like a denial. No. Like it's fine. Don't work. <laughs> yeah. No, because the thing, and also like some of the solutions don't work. And some of the people we've talked to, they're not positive, you know, they're just like, we're fucked, you know, and like this, and we've been fucked for a really long time, you know? And, and, uh, and, you know, no one's helping us. So we have to do this. And, you know, it's not like, and we're so happy about it. It's like, well, yeah, it's great that you're doing that, but this is what we have to do in order, because this is happening. But like, there is still something about like, there's action that is being taken here. And that's something that, you know, other people can rally behind as well when it gets diffused and reported on, because most of these stories are very underreported because, you know, these people don't have big media or like budgets, you know, they're just trying to do what they're, they're trying to, they're dedicating their lives to really like bringing solutions to their communities. And, and it's like, okay, so if we report on them and what they're doing, then maybe other people get interested and people will like rally behind them as well and give them that push because it is a fucking tough road to like actually, you know, fight against all these structural, you know, uh, issues that our world is facing right now because of, you know, the very, very, very complicated and fucked up history we have, you know? 
And then the second issue, the second question, <laughs> uh, how to support? Well, you know, there's simple ways like, you know, you can follow on, you know, our, on our socials or like sign up to our newsletter or, you know, donate on our, on our platform. Or, you know, we have this com uh, crowdfunding that's coming um, at the end. So, you know, like look out for that. And, you know, if you want to get involved and share it, you know, just share the, share what we're doing because we're just trying to really bring more and more people behind it and you know it doesn't have to be like in a in a financial way you know if it's just like you know coming onto the platform reading sharing following like that's just already like super super great and uh if you've got really rich friends send them our way <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <no> <laughs> and remind us of the socials before before we forget to ask you at the end of the pod <laughs> yeah so the socials is uh right now on instagram it's everyday.grit And the website is everydaygrits.com. And it's soon going to be a new URL, which is theinspirer.news. And we're probably also going to change our socials around that as well. But um, it's just going to be a little bit more time before that happens. So for now, it's everydaygrits. No, everyday.grits. Yeah. Sick. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And let's awkwardly pivot. Yeah. <laughs> Excited. Um, so now podcast about toddles forward. It's so, like I love it. Um what were some of the first messages you received around sex and sexuality? So okay, well, it's interesting because I all I can remember really like is not much but i remember being given a book you know like one of those illustrated books um i don't know if any french speakers out there or you know titeuf which is this like comic book that was a bit like for children but a bit rude um back when i was a kid anyway it was that um book that they wrote for like learning sexuality for kids or whatever so you learn about like safe sex and like how to make babies and different uh sexual practices but it was i mean obviously very like uh heteronormative they didn't talk about any like same-sex relationships or gender things because i mean it wasn't the time for that yet maybe i don't know um so yeah i remember being given this book and i was just reading the book and and then um i was happy that i read the book and that didn't first before like having had the talk because like I don't know it just made me feel really weird and I just I just realized I was like oh my god my parents do that that's gross yeah. <laughs> and um and so yeah I mean that's kind of all I remember like there was not really that many conversations around it I think there was not like a thing where I can't talk about it but also I felt kind of awkward about it and didn't really want to talk about it with my parents that much So, yeah, I guess that's kind of like how I learned about sex. <laughs> and your totally. dad's a coach and your mum's a therapist, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. My God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've met your dad. I adore your dad. And I've chatted with your mum on the phone too. And they're both, they seem like very, very, very cool people. Yeah. But, um, my parents seem like cool people until they were parents. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm curious about like having grown up in a therapeutic kind of well not that you're in a therapeutic environment <laughs> one big therapy session <laughs> my, yeah, whole childhood. my childhood <laughs> but did you find it easier therefore because they they or because of their jobs um mm, well the thing is conversations or i feel like i mean 
I knew what their jobs were, but I mean, as a kid, like it kind of was just the context. So I feel like we, we did have a lot of like family conversations, <laughs> you know, where we like all sit together and talk about our feelings, yeah. um, <laughs> which is, I, I hated them um, yeah. <clears throat> after a while. When I, when I was a teenager, like towards the end, I was just like, okay, I'm done with this. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess like that also meant that um, I could like the, the space was open for conversation, but, uh, I don't know. I think I was very, very shy when I was a kid and I, I had like a really hierarchical way of looking at things where I was just like, these are adults, they're responsible. Um, you know, I have, I, I, I think I actually, no, scratch that. I think I was kind of like, I really wanted to please my parents. I wanted to be a good child. Like I wanted mm -hmm. to be a good child. So I was scared to talk about certain things that I felt were like embarrassing or shame shameful or things like that. So even though the space was open and I was like aware of that, like I just didn't really like utilize it, I think as much as I could have just because like I was so scared to disappoint. Like I really didn't want to disappoint my parents, which is really weird now I think about it because like like the things that I was worried about disappointing them wouldn't have disappointed them. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like now that I know as an like, older person, like I'd been like, if, or if I was thinking like, if this was my child, like I would not be upset, you know? <laughs> but at the time I was very anxious about those things. So it's kind of a weird thing. Cause like it was a really safe space, but like, I also felt really like, like scared. Yeah. I mean, I so relate. I remember also just feeling kind of skeeved out by all of it, like curious and then grossed out by my curiosity and be like, I don't want to talk about this ever. No, thank you. And so how did you get, uh, or, or how did it unfold from there? And then how did you get into drugs and alcohol? Unfold from there? You mean from like the sexuality kind of point of view or like, Me. yeah, <clears throat> well, it's funny because I had kind of a, I kind of had like an aha moment in a meeting like in January where like speaking of like binaries and non-binaries, <laughs> like, you know, I, I like knew that I was bisexual, like really, really young. Like I remember writing it in my diary, like, I think I'm bisexual, like blah, 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 blah. And then like, I like scratched the whole page and then like stuck the pages together so that if anyone found my journal would never see that I wrote that. So like, there must have been like a lot of shame around it, but um, but also like I just knew that I had desire for like people, you know, like not it didn't have to be like. And I had this like weird aha moment where, like a couple months ago, like I was saying, just like around my relationship to like men or boys and my relationship to like women or girls, and that was super binary, and I was wondering why and. And um, because I was like treating my relationships with each gender very differently where like I was very like girls, like I love them and like they're so kind and so amazing and I want to like nourish them and cherish them and treat them like queens. And then like men, I'm like, you're a piece of shit, you're trash, like I'm going to treat you like a man would treat like a woman kind of oh. thing. Like, and these are all like very like binary, like I don't think like this anymore, but like it was kind of this internalized kind of behavior that I was having until like not so long ago actually and then I thought about like how I was introduced to sexuality and I remember having coming out to a friend of mine when I was like around 12 and 
Uh, I was like, I'm bisexual. And she's like, yeah, me too. And I was just like, wow, so cool. And like, we like fooled around and like made out. And like, it was my first like make out ever. And I was just like, so cool. And it was just like very explorative and like soft and fun and like a little bit like, ooh, what is this? But like, it was just this really like kind, sweet moment, like what introduction to sexuality really should be. And then like my first, like, like two experiences with boys were just very uh, transactional, um, involved actually drugs uh one of them and um and just like kind of like I have to do this in order to get out of this situation so mm. um you know it's just being like feeling very trapped and feeling like forced and so it was just like this very like it wasn't very nice you know like I don't like to put like too many words on on what it was because we were young and you know things are complicated at this age and we're all fucked up and stuff but like yeah, it wasn't a good experience and I didn't feel like I was treated like the way I should have been treated in terms of like discovering this kind of stuff. So yeah, like this aha moment. And then I was just like in this meeting and I was like, oh, okay, like makes sense that like I've just kind of categorized these things when like mm -hmm. that was my introduction to like sex and sexuality, you know? And so how did you kind of, man like I guess this is a tangent because we'll probably get into it later, but I'm curious as to how you kind of like started to dismantle those behaviors or I mean honestly like what you were saying earlier about like your own kind of stepping away from like your self-image in terms of the male gaze of like what's attractive and and like the idea of femininity being like the the musts of being found sexy in the world as a female-bodied person or whatever like I'm, I'm curious as to how you kind of like has that been a, a, a like a coinciding process of like finding your own non-binary identity and like dismantling the categorization that you'd put in between like male and female relationships or like what's that been like for you because it sounds like a really like that's a big aha you know yeah well actually now that you're saying it it actually makes so much sense that it does yeah that like it probably did like inform each other and like I don't know if you want to talk about this later, but like definitely like the kind of healing part of like men are like this, women are like this, I'm going to act like this with men and I'm going to act like this with women and also like not considering people who are neither, which is like problematic, um, <laughs> you know, um, really came through like a relationship, like a romantic relationship that I like started like a couple months ago where I was like, oh, like you're like this and I'm like that. And like just being together questions everything that we've always, that we've like known before. And so like, how do we create a space where we can both exist and see each other and feel seen and explore like who we are as we are together, you know? And so, so yeah, I mean, it's a very new kind of thing. And, and I think that because I'm also on this gender journey and I'm like, and I am like discover, I, I have discovered I've come into myself as a non-binary person <laughs> and uh, and like I'm doing all this thinking for myself, then I'm like kind of like also widening the search and like looking at it like in terms of like relationships, in terms of sexuality, in terms of like, you know, everything else actually. And so, yeah, it makes sense that it kind of coincided. No, so. that's really exciting. So, I mean, I... I know like a big kind of desire I often I often hear a big desire of like kind of 
breaking free of labels, you know, and I think that that sounds really cool and important, but it also makes it very difficult to like talk about it. Um, and so is, is to just like kind of check in, like, is what you're talking about kind of more of a pansexual experience? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and for those listeners who might not be kind of clear on what pansexuality is, can you disclose? Yeah, of course. So basically being pansexual is basically not being attracted to gender, but being attracted to people. And so I definitely um, relate to that sexuality. And like you were saying about labels, like the thing is, it's this like big debate in like kind of queer academics, like um, kind of thinking is just like, are we queer or are we LGBTQIA plus XYZ? You know, it's like labels or queerness, which is like an umbrella term, you know, or, you know, umbrella terms. And it's just like, and it's, they need to coexist because queer is like an action term. It's like what we do to queer our lives, to queer ourselves. And LGBTQ and all the labels is how we use words to describe it. And so they need to coincide together for a for for us to be able to like, you know, change like institutions and like, you know, create laws and have safety and security in society. We need words to be able to describe our experiences, but also to free ourselves, we need to like be in this like kind of no labels, like I'm just going to express myself, you know, and it's just like, I can, I can see how in this moment in time, like both really need to coincide, but like, and the balance exists, you know, and that's really beautiful. And I'm really happy to like be sitting there in this moment in time in history where like all of this gets to be like explored, you know? Oh, that's such a wonderful way of like articulating it. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but it's really, it's awesome to be able to kind of like, this is why the broad is, is meaningful. And this is why we also need specifics. And if it's just like, I'm gay because I do this, 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 and that. And so like, I am gay and I'm in this like really tight box. And when I don't do any of those things, then what am I, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, but like, you know, you, that can be a little bit flexible and also like, so that you can go and explore and really just like, you know, not put yourself in a box, but then, you know, these labels are just important, I think, just for safety. And so those nouns are really important for like anchoring and like being like, okay, like let's, these things exist. And so we need to like acknowledge them as things that exist that we need to protect and love, but also like, you know, we need freedom as well to be able to explore. Otherwise we're never going to change anything. I mean, it's and bringing it back to safety is so important, I think. Yeah. Like, Yes, we forget that because I think we, the conversations are being had. Like, it's not safe in a lot of places to express one's um, gender. So let's fucking remember that it has to come back. It's not just about how we're living in a Western environment, for example. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I think that there's so much that like the cishet community can, as a cishet person, <laughs> can, we can learn from this because I think that like, that's also a broad generality that doesn't have a lot of nuance and it kind of assumes a lot. And I know for me, like until I kind of discovered more subtleties around my own like personal preferred sexual expression, like I was not having that much fun <laughs> yeah. and like didn't necessarily, uh, did, and assumed that the lack of security or safety I felt was just like how shit was, you know? Um, like Dan Savage talks a lot about the, the fact that like in queer relationships, you all often like the, get like a foundation question is like, what are you into? And <laughs> straight people don't ask each other that and often don't even ask ourselves that. So that's cool to be able to like borrow really good ideas, you know, about like self-expression and exploration. Um, so, uh, when and how did you discover drugs and alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, drugs and alcohol came like a little, I mean, I, I don't know if it's early or not. I don't know what kids are doing nowadays, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I must have like got high for the first time at like 13 and got drunk as well at the same time. And, you know, it was just like, I was just such an awkward kid, you know, like I felt so insecure, like so insecure and I just didn't fit in at all. And uh, the environment, like the friendship environment that I had around me what did not feel very safe. And so drugs and alcohol was just like this amazing solution of just being like, I can do whatever I want. I can feel like, like amazing. And, and I don't have to like worry about anything. And like, it was just, you know, it, yeah, it was just a really good solution. And I actually, I remember very specifically like a moment, I was like probably like 16 years old. And, you know, at the time I was smoking weed and like all the time, like every day. And, and I remember like feeling sad about a breakup that was happening in my life. Like I was breaking up with someone and I was feeling sad about it. And then I smoked this joint and then all of a sudden, like I was, I knew that I was still sad, but I wasn't feeling sad. Mm. And I was like, damn like yes (laughs) this is the shit like I can do that for all the feelings you know like it's just like if I feel anything intense I can do this and then I will you know it still exists but I won't feel it I was like wow this is the shit like I need like you know and it, it just this moment of realization then it just became like an internalized kind of mechanism you know so oh my god yes I so relate God damn, I can like feel it. And just that feeling of relief that you delay it. You can just keep delaying stuff. Yeah, it (laughs) just goes. (laughs) And then I think about that like Jessica Leahy episode that we did. (laughs) She's like, if you do (laughs) drugs and alcohol before your brain is fully formed, you're essentially like taking offline all of your ability to like emotionally navigate any situation. (laughs) And like, I still feel that at age 36. Oh. <laughs> like still learning how to get back online oops yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna like explain that to my daughter and be like so just so you know here are the facts you'll be taking your brain offline and you will be disabling <laughs> like all of your network and you'll have to find it later Future your relationships <laughs> yeah. good luck yeah. oh, yeah. God. i mean i i feel like at the time i would have been like sounds great <laughs> awesome yeah yeah i would just been just like fuck it like it doesn't even matter at this point you know because you're like like, max in school like you're learning it like i'm literally never gonna use this and now i'm like i struggle with money and i'm like probably could have done with a little more concentration on just not like not not going to maths you know like Yeah. And also just like, I think when you're that young, like you don't have that kind of foresight of like how far in the future, you know, you're just kind of like so ingrained in like what's happening like right now, like around you, like your friends, like school, your parents, like how do I navigate like this little world that I'm in and like try to find my way, you know, that you're not thinking like, and when I'm going to be like 40 years old, like I really need to like be financially stable. So I will (laughs) need this, this skill, you know, like, but um. Yeah. You just be like, fuck it, you're a knock. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, let me do my shit. So <laughs> what, what, what sort of led you to getting sober? What led me to get sober? Well, I mean, I, I got sober at 25. So 
I think that's relatively young. It felt really young and really old. Like when I did it, at the, like, I, f- I felt really <laughs> old, but I felt like also like, oh, all these years of partying. And also like, FYI, like you still party when you get sober. So, yes. <laughs> um, but like, I think I just hit a point where like, I've been doing it. I mean, I was using that to be able to create connections with others for so long. Like I was constantly searching for community, for connection, Um, you know, like being queer and then being in like a straight, a straight air quotes this time for real, like relationship. Um, And then feeling like going back into the closet and then, um, being like out and like finding all these like queer people, you know, it was just like, how, and like, how do I connect with all these parts? And like, I was just like, I need, you know, substances to do that. And then, um, it got to a point where I was in a really comfortable place where I had a community of people around me who were also as weird and as queer and as, you know, beautiful, like had, had beautiful lives and that I loved so much. I just loved them so much basically. And I was just like, this is my safe space. And I just wasn't feeling safe. I was just like, I was feeling disconnected. I was feeling unsafe. Um, I couldn't, you know, and, and it just scared me. I was just like, well, you know, what's going on? Like, this is, this is the people that I should be feeling like these, are, this is like, I feel like are my family and this is my home. And I feel so unsafe. And um, and so I just didn't really know what to do with that because I didn't really understand that drugs and alcohol was the issue. Um, until, you know, I met, actually I met someone uh, that I was really in love with when I met, met, met them. And, and, uh, but nothing, nothing ever happened between us because she was like, you're a fucking mess. So we can't do this because like, you know, this is just like, just this like really strong boundary setting being like, you're an addict and I can't be with an addict because you're not available for this relationship. And I love you so much, but like, we can't do this. And I was like, whoa, like big slap in the face, but like so much respect. Like you respect yourself so much that it makes me want to respect myself. And like, you said that with so much love that like, I feel like the lack of love that I have for myself. And it was just like, Whoa, you know? And so it was just like these little seeds getting dropped. And, and then, um, and then I came home um, for like, I took a little two week break from everything was spiraling really badly. And I just took a week, a two week break and came back to Paris for a week. And uh, I, I got honest for the for very first time with my parents because I was living in London and I had been living in London for seven years. So I could keep everything I wanted to keep from them away and just show them the nice parts. And all of a sudden I was like, everything is fucked. There's drugs everywhere in my house. I just don't know what to do. I'm scared. And, and, um, and so I was kindly suggested that I should just stop drinking and using for, um, for just a little bit of time because it seemed like I was very anxious and uh and and so that could help my brain calm down and I was like okay yeah that's that sounds smart and and I also um asked if I could be brought to a recovery meeting and I don't know why I asked that but I did and I went and when, when I went to this recovery meeting um all these people were like talking to me talking at me what was going on inside my head I was just like wait all the things that I would never 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 like admit to anyone like you're just saying that out loud like comfortably I'm like whoa like this is so intense and I just figured out 
and that moment that the common denominator was that they were not drinking or using. So it's like, okay, maybe I'll try this for a little bit longer than a week. And so I was like a month and then I moved back to Paris and Paris was kind of like my rehab. And then there's COVID. So it was like extra rehab. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I carried on going to these meetings and, and, and yeah, like just one month became two, became three. And, and then I was like, okay, cool. Let's do this. Actually, there's something to be discovered here. And my favorite, um, what's it called? The slogans is like more will be revealed. And I'm like, mm. I really want to know what's more. Like, I'm so curious. I'm like, what is more is going to be revealed? So I just like, like around for that. Spooky one. <laughs> the spookiest of the slogans. I know. I love it. It's just like, if more will be revealed, that means like it gets better than this. Okay. Like I'm sticking around for that, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. Congratulations. And how much, how much time is that now? Um, I think it's like two, over two and a half years. I have like three years in September. So yeah, something oh, like, yeah. Two what's and a half. the date in September? It's the 30th, 30th of oh, September. Yay. Yeah. Yay. And then, um, and what do you, what do you do to take care of your recovery right now? Right now? Well, I definitely go to meetings. Like that's like a really big staple. Um, okay. I definitely think I'm learning to ask for help um which is like and like use the support network thing of being like actually like I don't need to be in like full distress to be like hey like can I get your advice on this you know like um which is new um like before it's a problem before the shit's on fire and like having a conversation yeah basically like definitely just like otherwise it's just like it gets worse or you know when there is shit on fire not being this like shame cycle of like i'm such a mess i have to wait for to get better um to like talk to someone about it you know i can just like ask for help um definitely like praying and meditating i do like i try to meditate every day and actually big tool that i've been using since day one is gratitude lists like they're a bit cheesy. Uh, some people hate them. I absolutely love them. Thinking about what I'm grateful for every day makes me feel like so grateful. <laughs> it's just so stupid, yeah. but it's, it's so yeah. simple, but it's it's true. Um, it's a good perspective checking, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I think. And you can. I don't, one thing I found really helpful was not just to list things in my gratitude list, but like also think about how far I've come and the yeah. change, and like what it would be like not what would it be like, but like how recovery has changed like the way I'm handling things. Because I think otherwise recovery can become a little bit like yawn. Do you know what I mean? Well, I can certainly get to that space. I'm not protecting that on anybody else. I certainly can get a little bit yawny, but thinking like, Oh, I would not have just handled something with somebody. Had I not like used a pause or thought one hour at a time or one day at a time, things like that. So yeah. um, I'm also a big fan of gratitude. Sorry, carry on. I interrupted you. No, I, just, I mean, I love it because it's exactly how I engage with a gratitude list. It's like, for me, it's like a very like self-reflective moment. It's like, okay, yes, I'm grateful for my plant. You know what I mean? And some days, like if I'm having a really hard day, maybe grateful for my plant is like enough. For, like, it's just like, it's all I can give in that yeah. moment. But it's like, or like, I'm grateful I'm sober. But then if, if I say I'm grateful I'm sober, I'm thinking like, all of the things that I get from being sober, you know, and it's just like, or, you know, I'm grateful that I get to live this experience and feel how I feel because feeling my own feelings is really hard and that's great, you know, and it's just like, 
So definitely like, it's yeah. not just like a little list of like, I'm grateful for my house and I'm grateful for food. Like, of course, I'm grateful for all of those things. And some days that's all I can be grateful for. Um, and, but it's just like, also like feeling grateful for those things or not a given, like I wasn't grateful for, for those things before. So even if it's, it is just for food, like actually, like I never thought about being grateful for food before. So just the fact that I am able to do that is like, wow, that's great. You know? Totally. And it does repair neural pathways apparently mm-hmm. as well. And I think, because thank, we, God. thank God, right? Because we do feel like I've done so much damage to my neural pathways <laughs> from such a young age that I need all the help I can get. Yeah. I mean, also our Lord and savior, Renee Brown. <laughs> yes. talks about, she talks about that. Like gratitude is necessary to actually experience joy, not the other way around. Like you become aware of the experience of like embodied joy. If you have a kind of a relationship with the idea of gratitude or the, the sense of gratitude, but like, it doesn't have, like it doesn't happen backwards kind of, which I always assumed, like, especially I think it can be very easy. And again, I'll blame capitalism. (laughs) This idea that like, if, if I get joy that I can feel grateful where it's actually like, if I cultivate my gratitude in my life regularly, then I'm able to kind of have a a living experience of of joyful life, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, even just like on a meditational like level, like I like did this like meditation retreat, like before I got sober, which I think was actually quite helpful. Um, I did one too. I went on <laughs> just before I got sober. My little drunky gurus all look at you. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> That'll help if I trap myself in a place. And like, apparently people at the pub were taking bets for like how long before I talked. And like the day I got out, I just got fucking shit faced. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll let you have your No, but I mean, for sure. Like I definitely thought that like meditation was going to solve all my problems when I was drinking and using like, and it, I mean, it probably did like, you know, create some ground for like being able to access meditation like actually when I was sober but like it didn't work that well I didn't get sober better but um this I think you did great Em yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'll forgive myself (laughs) for all the for all the things I tried and I failed when I was not sober but like basically um this guy Joe Dispenza which is a really interesting guy um talks about like the vibrational kind of uh intensity like the the yeah the vibrational intensity of emotions and like gratitude is like one of the highest vibrations so it's like if you feel gratitude like you have this way of like you connect more like with the world and everything and like the lowest are like shame and guilt so it's like when you're in shame and guilt it's like you're you're you know you're very you're not vibrating with the universe around you you know you're just very like this you know very on in yourself and it's just like not open at all so i mean yeah gratitude best tool ever i know people hate it or find it cheesy or annoying but i love it it's my favorite (laughs) beautiful i'm also like i feel like very blessed to receive both of your gratitude lists and also courtney shout out courtney (laughs) and elodie's so i'm like even though i'm not i did like a long ass i'm I'm justifying but like right now i'm not writing gratitude lists i'm just receiving a bunch which is my fucking favorite thing (laughs) but um I remember this woman, Malibu Barbara, who was out of her fucking mind when I was still in Malibu rehab. Barbara. Malibu Barbara. She's Barbara. But she um, she said a grateful... She was talking at like 27 billion years of sobriety, like a crazy California dinosaur, like about... And she was nuts for sure. But she said like a grateful addict doesn't drink. 
and that she did five things in the morning and five things in the, at night, every night, every morning for her whole recovery. And like, I, I did that for like over 10 years, I think. Wow. And, and, and like, what a fucking way to like track time, you know, to like be able to be like, Oh, that I, like, I know the day that Seb and I had our first date because <laughs> my, my gratitude journal said, great day. <laughs> you know, like what a sweet way to be like, keep track of your life. Um, I digress. Totally. Yeah. Curse up from Elbu Barbara. <laughs> um, uh, and at the top of the show, we talked a little bit, I mean, and I guess throughout the, <laughs> the, the little bit about gender. Um, <laughs> and I wonder, like, do you feel like getting sober affected your gender journey? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, there's no doubt about <laughs> For sure, that. duh. <laughs> like, like, there's literally no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, if I hadn't, I mean, I think if if I didn't get sober, I would have never figured this out. Um, I was just so disconnected to my of with myself, and like I didn't even know that I was. I can only say that now when I look back, I'm like, wow. But then I didn't even realize how disconnected I was. But like, um, so yeah. I mean, I would have never figured that out. And like, you know, it's now all these like hints where I'm like, wow, like I. I knew this for so long. Like there are so many things that just didn't quite match up like throughout my whole life. And I know that this is who I am, but like, I just didn't know how to listen. I didn't know what it meant. And I just, you know, put it to one side and just carried on with whatever I was doing because I couldn't really, I didn't have space or tools or knowledge or anything to kind of address it. And so when I got sober, I just got that a little bit more space for that. And also then, you know, I discovered more people who also were in that space and that started catching my ear and listening to their stories and relating um, to that and being like, wow, like, I feel like that's like this too, you know, a bit like when you go to a meeting, you know, and, um, and just being like, okay, like I've come out like a bunch of times, like I've, you know, been a lesbian, then I was like, I was bisexual, then I was a lesbian, then I was like pan. And then now like, there's this whole gender thing that's coming in. And I was just like, I don't need to treat this as this like really like traumatic thing. Like I can just like, now I'm sober and I, you know, and I get, I get to do this. Like, let's see where this takes, takes us, you know, let's see where this takes me. And and so I was able to like really be gentle about it and just kind of like play a little bit this way or like start talking to some people about it and then asking them to like use these kinds of pronouns and, um, you know, like playing around with like clothing and things like that. And, and then like whenever it got to a point where it was like, this was not enough, where I was like, okay, like I don't feel seen enough. I don't feel me enough. I don't feel like in relationships or in the world or where, where I'm going, then I would know that it's time for me to like, okay, like let's level up. Like, okay, what do I do? Like, do I start talking to about pronouns to more people? Do I put it on my little zoom thing or in my Instagram bio or like, um, you know, do I cut my hair? Do I like, so there's just like all these little steps, like, and that would have never, ever happened if I wasn't sober, because I wouldn't have been able to feel the subtleties of those things, you know? So yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> that's really fucking cool. <laughs> and again, like such a delight to behold in real time. Um, 
Uh, uh, last episode with you can tell what i'm reading and i'm just like meow 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 okay let me read a book Um, at the the last episode with may we touched briefly on relationship anarchy as a way of navigating ethical non-monogamy and i saw a cute instagram post the other day that made me think of you (laughs) because it was talking about what happens when you dismantle hierarchies surrounding friends and lovers and the potential for new levels of connection and emotional intimacy in even platonic air quotes relationships um and you know you mentioned in your bio that you practice uh i guess poly constellations and could you talk a little bit about that and like what your experience is yeah for sure like i don't really know the difference between polyamory and ethical non-monogamy but i like them both (laughs) and um basically relationship anarchy is like Definitely a model that I love so, so much. And I've literally printed out the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto right here um, just to have it next to me while I I do this podcast with you because it is my Bible. Um, And I will send you a link so you can put it in the show notes because everybody needs to know about this. It's literally the best. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's just breaking down the idea of, I mean, the way I experience it and like the manifesto explains it much better than I do. the way that I live it is just like if I don't like prior like if I don't put any hierarchies in my relationships like it's like there's my prime like there's my partner or my primary partner and there's like my secondary partner and there's like my friends and then there's like my family and my brother and like and put them all into like kind of this hierarchy of like relationships um if I break that down and just say like I have an abundance of love And like every single relationship that I have with every human that I love in my life is absolutely unique. And like that bond is not comparable to any other bond. And because I have this bond with this person that can inform the other bonds that I have with others rather than like kind of putting them on top of each other is just like, is just really changed my perspective on like everything because, um, and I mean, I always cheated when I was like before <laughs> when I was not sober before I got sober. I was always, I was a cheater because I always love, I like loved, I fell in love with people. And then I was, it so happens that I was in a monogamous relationship and then I didn't know how to handle it. So I would just cheat and, you know, and, and now with this idea of ethical non-monogamy where I'm like, actually like I get to love like everyone in this unique way so like my love for you doesn't threaten my love for you it's like actually like my love the love that we feel for each other can actually like bring more things to the other relationships like I was like when I heard about that I was like oh my god like this is it like this is what I've been looking for for my whole life because you know if we like and for me one of the biggest principles and my core value in all of this and it's like a super recovery value as well is honesty it's like if i practiced radical honesty with every single person that i love in my life and like sometimes it's hard because i'm confused about what i what i think or what i believe but even if i'm honest about that being like hey i'm a little confused right now and i don't know where i'm at can we talk about it cuz maybe if we talk about it we'll figure it out you know but like you know, just having that honesty and that being the basis of like all relationships creates trust and trust then, you know, fest like can, you know, creates like a very safe bed for like love to like kind of grow. And, 
And it's just like, and we're, we, I don't need this thing of like, I need to feel like you're mine in order to feel safe. Like, it's like, no, actually the safety is already built in, in the structure, like with this honesty and this trust, you know? So I feel like I kind of went like all over the place with that, but like, not at all. Um, yeah, this kind of my vision of love. <laughs> Fucking crushed it. That was beautiful. Absolutely stunning. I'm really clear. I'm like really, really clear. So one thing that's set my skin on fire about this is because it's my own shit <laughs> um, is how Louise's next question, which is around jealousy in this Jealousy. Because I'm like, I get it. I get it for other people. But I better be your favorite fucking person that's ever lived. <laughs> right. That, and also, like, I would never, like, I am so fucking jealous. Yeah. And my husband's really jealous as well. And we kind of, like, trauma bond over that and it's perfect because it works for us both right but um sometimes it's not very it's not actually not very healthy because we don't keep ourselves separate but i'm wondering how one would are you a jealous person do you mind me asking and if so have you had to navigate that or do you think that this constellation is not for jealous people um no i think jealousy is like a human emotion so i think everybody has it um i personally I'm a person that doesn't put my needs first in a lot of situations, which that is not very healthy. I'm learning how to like listen to what my needs are and express them. But like, I don't, so I don't feel my jealousy very much because I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't feel your needs. <laughs> you know? So mm. I don't feel jealous very often, but like, I'll, like I have a partner right now who, you know, is navigating jealousy in this new constellation of like love, you know, like this new conception of love, which is non-monogamous and, ethically non-monogamous and you know and jealousy arises you know and and sometimes I imagine and like jealousy doesn't really like sometimes like I am all imagine something that I'll be jealous about <laughs> so like jealousy like definitely does exist and the thing is it's like I think in relationships I mean this is my opinion um we put jealousy as this like thing it's like if there's jealousy like that will threaten the relationship um, it's like, if I'm jealous, then that means there's something inherently wrong with this relationship and like everything is falling apart. Whereas like, it's just an inhuman emotion, like any other, like anger, like happiness, like, like happiness, maybe like joy, like sadness. And it's just like, take it down a notch. You know, it's just like, it is an emotion and an emotions kind of, um, use is like, it's giving me information about what's going on right now about myself, you know? And so if I'm feeling jealous, it's not about what my partner is doing with someone else. It's about what's going on between me and my partner that isn't sitting quite right with me right now. Where do we need to work so we feel safe with each other that when they go out in the world and be themselves, I don't feel jealous because I trust, you know? That's next level. So it's just about kind of looking at it that way and just being like, okay, well, what does that say about what what we're going through right now? And having that conversation and bring it back down to this honesty thing. It's like, okay, let's be honest. I'm feeling off. I'm feeling jealous. Um, these are, these are the things happening in my life right now. What's, and these are the things that are happening. It's not aligning. How do we find alignment and just kind of regroup, have that kind of like return to the safe space, you know, and just like be like, let's get, let's have a little chat in our safe space and feel safe again. And then we can go back out in the world and be ourselves and explore. And, you know, so it's just like, and that can be practiced in monogamous relationships as well. Like there is ethical monogamy, you know, like it doesn't have, it's like you choose 
to, you know, you can take all these like concepts of polyamory and integrate it to your monogamous relationship. I think oh, it's yeah. super healthy actually. And I beautiful. had a sponsor uh, work with me on it actually, because I was like, you know, I, we, you know, I, I've been jealous in all my relationships and, um, and she, and she said to me, it's not actually a bad thing, right? It's like, you can use it. And finding somebody else who's jealous and we kind of laugh at each other with it, but then also use it as like our sexual energy or, or energy, whatever that's sort of manifesting as. And sort of taking that twist on it, like you just put so fucking wisely, like it's a human emotion, we're going to have it. It's not, you know, it's not because you're in this constellation that you have not not going to have, Emo- uh, jealousy yeah and it's refreshing to hear that yeah i remember the episode with bay leche uh she talked a lot about like it being an opportunity to meet your own need to like communicate around it but to not anticipate that your partner was there to like fix your feeling aka not trying to control them mm-hmm. and i'm like that's totally so opposite of my instincts <laughs> around it. i'm like you have to stop doing that because i don't and it's like no 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 uh how can I kind of self-soothe and communicate my needs around the situation without trying to control my partner's behavior? And it's like, have don't know what that's been. Because I have like really invasive, hyper-jealous kind of imagina- imaginary situation thoughts, which I think is like <laughs> some kind of version of like OCD. But, um, but it's, it was such a kind of epiphany to be like, oh, like, because I'm having a feeling this person doesn't necessarily have to change their behavior, you know, mm-hmm. like that's being controlling and potentially manipulative. <laughs> Although, you know, if, out of consideration, perhaps they could <laughs> just say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just this idea of taking responsibility for your own feelings. You know, it's like, I really try not to say like, you made me feel this way because no one makes you feel anything. Like you right. feel things. Like, so it's just yeah. like, so easy to be like, when you did this, you made me feel like this. It's like, no, you didn't make me feel like this happened. <laughs> and then I felt this way. And yeah. so it so happens that I felt this way. I need to tell you because it's not really okay with me to feel this way but like let's you know talk about it maybe there's something that we maybe just talking about it can be enough you know and maybe Mm -hmm. there's something that I need to do for myself in order to Mm -hmm. like kind of yeah like you're saying self-soothe but like there's there's definitely like solutions through communication and honesty um and that's why I really think that that's the base of everything it's just like having that base honesty of like not sitting with those emotions not sitting with those things and just like festering on them and they'll turn into resentments and we know Mm -hmm. what resentments do (laughs) so it's just (laughs) like you know it's just having this yeah like what you're saying is just really yeah it's really true i mean what's it i I don't know oh no i lost it it was a good idea and i I feel like also it's what you're saying about the love like it's like you have this big old crate of love and that it shows up with different people and that can be friendships too and something Lou and I have talked about a lot before is us both being big soulmates soulmates. (laughs) (laughs) but also we you know you can practice this I get jealous in friendships too like and like you say it's an opportunity and Lou and I have both had conversations where we're like, I need to know that I'm special or whatever. Mm. And it's like, and funny that we work through that together because it also makes me brave in my my marriage where I can be like, I, you know, I want to feel, it's okay that I need to feel special. And I, I immediately want to like throw up on myself. <laughs> 
and you feel special. Now don't look at me. Oh, no, but, but I think what you're talking about, that that's actually what the thing I've thought about and then lost. But like, Em, it sounds like you've gotten really good at kind of listening to your own and honoring your own emotional needs so that like the feeling of jealousy is actually perhaps a signal that you need like connection reassurance as opposed to just like the other person has to fucking change their behavior, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> for, sure. <laughs> for sure. It is just like this thing where it's like it's it's um. Yeah, I mean, no, I lost my thought too. Now, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm so good at focusing. <laughs> um, Rose, you wanna you wanna ask the sex idea question, Rose? Okay. No, well, are you currently working with the sex idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny i haven't written one in a while actually sorry about that creepy voice I (laughs) (laughs) i quite liked it i liked it too i was going with it (laughs) this is cool are we doing this now somebody from like a bbc crisp advert not bbc because i don't have fucking adverts i'd be like I cut that and paste it into every episode. (laughs) Have it as like the sound bite about the sex idea. Yeah, we just delete our intro and then we just use that. (laughs) There we go. I'll let you answer. (laughs) Oh, man. Actually, you know, it's funny because I haven't really thought about the sex ideal until like right before the podcast um um but yeah definitely i'm working with a sex ideal and like it definitely has changed from the original one or maybe like maybe the words didn't actually change but like the words meant different things at the time because i was not where i am today um but it's just like i think it's really as simple as like the way i want to show up as in my relationships is like just with like full-on honesty like just like be like this just be yeah just be honest basically just be really really honest about who I am about where I'm at about what's going on you know about how I feel and you know that doesn't mean that we have to sit down and have conversations about all these things all the time you know but it's just like um whenever there's something that comes up where I'm like where it could trigger this thing of like ooh like I want to run away from this or mm, I'm not really like sure I want like I you know the moment I feel like there's secrecy inside of me which is something that like was like really festery when I was drinking and using like it was just like this like thing of like there's all this stuff about myself that is so dark and so bad and that like I need to hide And it's just like, I don't want to hide anymore. Like I want to show up as someone where I'm like, even when things are difficult, like I want to be able to say, Hey, things are difficult. And even if it's really hard and really awkward to say, I want to be able to do that because I really think that it's through that, that like can like really deep connection can happen. And, and it's really simple. And it's like the first thing that you got to do when you get sober you got to get honest mm-hmm. with yourself. Oh, yeah. And so just well. so weird that like, that like actually turns out to be like the basis for like the way I connect with romantic partners, sexual partners, friends, you know, everyone, because again, 
I don't have a hierarchy between all of them, <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like, how do I foster connection? It's just by being honest, you know, and, and honest with myself and honest with the other person. So I guess that's my sex ideal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's that's, awesome. it's huge in itself. I don't think it's like a small thing. I think being honest requires fucking huge amounts of work, especially if you're really good at, like you said, just being a bit like, you can have all of this, but I'm just going to keep this little bit so you can hear. Or like, I have no need. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, or just exactly. also not even knowing. Like, I, sometimes I sit, like, sometimes when I feel like something's off or weird, I don't know what's going wrong. And then I'm like, I really want to be able to get honest about this, but I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I've had this experience with, like, last couple of weeks where I was like, Oh, but like maybe the honesty is just as is just that is just like I'm feeling fucking weird right now and I don't know what this is, and then like more will be revealed. So I will figure it out later what it actually is, and then I can get honest about it later. You know, like it's just like this thing where it's like I don't need to have it all figured out to still practice it. You know, nice. Mm. Love it. I love that. Oh. I have so much more I want to say, but we're already at an hour and 23. So I should pivot into the lightning round. <laughs> so um, we love you so much. Thank you for being on the show. I love you. Um, now we will close with the lightning round. <laughs> Favorite fictional character. Oh my God. This was really, really hard. And like, I'm thinking of a really niche character, which is like a secondary, secondary character, not a secondary character, but like, like a like a <laughs> <Right>. person, <laughs> babe. It's, it's in the uh, Sense Eight, the TV show, where there's this girlfriend of Nomi, which is a main character of the TV show, who's called An- Amanita, who is like the most supportive, kind, lovely person ever. And like, I'm just like, you are so great, and I love you so much. So I think that she's my favorite secondary character, which is super weird and very niche. And very, I love. Random. I love your favorite snack. The best, though, aren't they? Yeah. What's your favorite snack? M and M's. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, I'm just imagining like a crunching with my teeth. <laughs> I love chocolate and peanuts together, and like M and M's is just that. So, <laughs> <sighs> what turns you on? Honesty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if you don't like it. Um, yeah, even if I don't like it, because it still makes me feel connected to the person in front of me when there's honesty there. And so it's just like, it gives me like a lot of hope, you know, even if it's a place of like, we're not getting along. And I need to tell you that we're not getting along. Then I'm like, oh my God, thank God I feel relieved. You know, I'm like, Mm. I'm so relieved that we're having this conversation that we're like, having a conversation where like, this whatever we're going through right now doesn't work for me it's like oh my god thank you for telling me because now we get to like do something new with that and like I mean does it turn me on sexually every time no but it turns me on for life you know I'm like it gives me hope I'm like wow Mm -hmm. like this doesn't like things don't have to end here you know because we're feeling uncomfortable we get to be feel like we feel uncomfortable we get honest about it and then we can actually create new things you know Yes. (laughs) I'm having a breakthrough because you just said that and it's so (laughs) helpful to hear you're so fucking wise oh my god Uh, (laughs) Uh, what's the TV show you binged recently 
Uh, well, this TV show Sense8 is really good. I don't know. Do you guys know it? Well, I know about it. My mom watches it. Sense8. Okay. It is amazing. Oh, it's like okay. basically just like quickly. It's a cluster of eight people that like something happens to them and they're connected. They live in eight parts of the world. So there's like, it's filmed in eight different locations in eight different countries. And it's just like, they're all connected through like their senses, their hearing, they can speak the same language, they can feel the same things. And there's like this whole like kind of action, you know, stuff that's happening around them because, you know, whatever Magic. it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter. But just the, the thing of like the super connection that these eight people have with each other that like they can show up for each other. Like when one's in distress, like the other ones can just be in their reality and be like, I'm here, like I've got you, you know? And like they'll eat stuff and feel each other's, like flavors and they'll like have sex and like be like and there's these like amazing amazing orgies being filmed of like them all having sex together and feeling all of it all at the same time i'm like wow like this is some <laughs> next level connection shit and i love it and i just like i'm so obsessed and also like they touch on so many topics and it's the the wachowski directors that like have done it and it's like really for me interesting because you know they did the matrix and then they came out like Tra as trans and then they both then they did this show and it's kind of like this post-transition show where they get to like really explore all these like topics and it's just like oh it's amazing i definitely recommend <laughs> hard plug for sense yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the best or worst advice you've ever gotten hmm i don't know what's the worst and I don't know what's the best. I superlative, superlatives are really hard. I like because I have to choose. I don't very like good choose. or very bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like what comes to mind is like this thing that my dad told me when it was he was visiting me in London. It was before sobriety and all this stuff. And I was kind of trying to explain, I don't know if it was advice, but like it was just this great thing that he said where like I was talking about a situation. I was like, oh, but this is happening because this is happening or because of this and because of that. And I was trying to explain why and like getting meaning out of that. And then he turned to me and said, you know, sometimes why is not the right question to ask. And I was like, what? And like that shit stuck with me so hard because I'm like, okay, so like we're always constantly trying to figure out why things are happening but like, how do we actually address those things? Like, what is going on? Like, where can we go from here? Or maybe like more constructive, like, like questions to ask to be able to like do something about it and like kind of think about the situation. And then the meaning will probably come mm -hmm. later because a lot of the times when things are happening, we have no idea why, but we try to like find meaning in order to like kind of feel safe. But it's just like, but it doesn't like it doesn't matter actually to know why it doesn't take us out of that situation. Maybe the the other questions are more interesting, you know. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of mind opening. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. cool. Bomb. <laughs> My sponsor always says figuring it out is not a slogan. <laughs> I'm mm. like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that kind of. Why? Yeah, don't need to know why. <laughs> or not right now. <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan is apparently when she was like her shins were broke, <laughs> broken by Tanya Harding. <laughs> she was like, "Why me?" And it's like, what a stupid question in that circumstance. Like anyway, yeah. I think about that. <laughs> like, why? It's not the question. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not the point. <laughs> so.
<laughs> anyway, um, finally, what do you love? What do I love? I love you both. Oh, so much. I love this podcast so much. Um, I love that we get to have these conversations and like that, you know, when I hear the podcast, I learn so much and like, it's just this incredible thing of like, when we're connected with people, then we get to like connect with other people. And like, it just like has this incredible ripple effect. And I just love ripple effects. So <laughs> I love so many things, but I really, yeah, I guess, yeah, I love, I love all the people that I love in my life as well. Like my friends and my partners and my family and, and just having the opportunity to feel love on that level is just so beautiful. So yeah, I love love.